What up, everyone? My name is Nachum Russell, or Russ to most people, because and you can't say my name. <laughs> That's become my opening tagline on this show, is you can't say my name. Um, and this is my friend Norka Rodriguez. You can introduce yourself. Hey, guys. What's up? Is Norka the dog guru? How are you? <laughs> so for those of you who've never tuned into this show before or watched it or anything like that, I'm just going to put it out there real quick. This is not a Q&A show. So if you have dog training questions, this is not the time to ask them. You can send all of them to Norka on DMs and Instagram or TikTok, and she will gladly answer all of them. Um, but, <laughs> but that's not what this show is for. So this is more just a fun way to get to know your trainers, chat, have good conversation, and just have a good time. You all are more than welcome to say hi in the comments, ask questions pertaining to the conversation in the comments, um, and be a part of the discussion in the comments section. We love to say hello to you guys. All right, Norka, what's up? I'm, ex I'm excited to have you on. I kind of forgot how to do a podcast because I haven't done one in so long. So if I'm like weird and awkward, that's why guys, I haven't done one of these in like three months because I got sick and then I got burnt out and then I just had too much going on and I was like, that's going to have to go on the back burner. But then I missed it and I decided it's time to come back you. on. We miss you. <laughs> it's cool. It's it's what was cool to me was that people actually were like, hey, are you going to do another podcast? And I was like, you guys actually give a shit about this thing? That's cool. That's why I was like, okay, I got to get back to this. You have some great trainers on your show. I mean, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you, so like we've never really chatted much about your training story, your history, all of that. So let's let's get into that a little bit. How long have you been training dogs? Um, I started in 2014. Um, kind of the same story as you, minus the reactive dog. I found a doggy daycare that was looking for a receptionist, and I went and applied. They did a little working interview, and they were like, would you mind being in the back with the dogs instead of in the front office? And I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So they threw me in the back with the dogs, spent almost an hour in there. I was like... I didn't even know this was a thing. You know, you bring a dog somewhere and the dog in. And yeah, I mean, I fell in love with it. Um, I didn't hear back from them right away. So I sent them an email like a week later, like, hey guys, you still hiring? I was really interested in the job. Um, and she ended up hiring me the next batch of new hires. So um, yeah, I started off as a dog handler, picking up dog shit, um, kind of getting to know dogs, just learning body language and um the daycare itself was a daycare grooming training center. So, I mean, it was everything under one roof. Um, and I was mainly in the back with the dogs in the beginning. Within the first couple months, uh, I started kind of stalking the head trainer and just looking over the walls and checking them out. Um, uh, the bite work, protection work, all that stuff. So, um, I was super interested in everything he was doing. So, I used to pull my phone out and start kind of just recording what he was doing. Um, he ended up losing his assistant a few weeks in and then asked me to just go ahead and apprentice under him. So um, I did. I was with the company for five years. We opened up three facilities. Um, I ran the training. I was the director for all training um, over the five years. And I mean, I took on nothing but behavioral cases. That's what I started with. My very first board and train was a, a coonhound who had three bites on record and had severely, I mean, severe human aggression and i mean that that's where i fell in love with just and I, I just knowing that i can help dogs and and i can understand the way they thought and i can understand you know just just how to teach a dog um i don't know just it was it was my calling 
Um, Being in the trenches. Yeah. My uh, boss actually called me his, uh, his prodigy because I was just catching on to everything pretty quick. And I was on my own pretty fast. He, he had me running puppy classes. So, I mean, I learned, you know, food lure and, you know, the basics just using positive reinforcement. Um, and then I got to, to learning e-collar. I got to learning, you know, prong collars. He used to use choker chains too. Um, yeah, and over the time, I just, you know, figured out my own style. And that guy was more of a compulsion-based trainer. So, um, you know, I kind of learned from his mistakes and, and just just took what I, what I could to just develop my own training style. What did you fall in love with about it? About drug training? Mm-hmm. Like when you were like, this is what I want to do. Like you went there to work just as a job, I'm assuming, yeah. just to have a job. To right? me, I think it was the fact that I can I can be that translator between a dog and a human. Because a lot of people own dogs, but they don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to talk to the dogs. They don't know how to speak dog. They don't know how to communicate with their dogs. And I think the fact that a lot of people will come in with aggression cases and these dogs were reactive and just misunderstood. And just seeing the, the people's face when they got to know their dog and, and how to communicate properly. And I don't know, I just fell in love with that, that aspect of changing the human's life along with, you know, teaching the dog. Yeah. I think that's a powerful aspect of it that well, I know big, like you said, we have similar stories minus, minus my crazy Marley, but we, we both started off, I think just looking for jobs essentially. Right. And then it becoming something that we fell in love with and passionate about. But, I know I started off where I was like, oh, I want to work with dogs because I have nothing to do with humans. Right. And then I was like, so oh, I have activity. so much human activity, right? And I had to work through that. I was like, why did I not want to be around people? Like, right. let's work through that a little bit. And then now I'm at a point where it's like, yeah, I love the dogs and I absolutely have a great time working with them and it's awesome. But I love, I get so much out of working with the people and engaging with them and all of that. And it's an interesting it's an interesting transition. I think most of the trainers out there that I really respect are the ones who have that side of them. It's that I really yeah. love helping people. It's a very important aspect of it that the in, a lot of times I've seen people get into this work, myself included, because they want to get away from people. Right. But once you recognize how much the people are a part of it and you learn to love that and appreciate mm-hmm. it, that's when you really become good at it. You have to be a people person in this industry because you have to deal with the human first so. yeah customer service skills i mean they have to be tip top shape and you have to know how to talk to your people because i've seen i've seen a lot of trainers lose clientele because of the way they talk and i'm this is me i'm down to earth i'm very honest i don't beat around the bush when when something's wrong i tell you and if i notice that you you're coddling your dog and you know these are the issues here that's i'm going to point that out and if it hurts your feelings, that's okay as long as you understand that, that that's what's causing your dog to misbehave. So, I mean. And when did this transition into Norka the dog guru? How did that come about? Like you worked um, for somebody else for a while, and then when did this come about? Um, well, I was working with the company for five years, and then actually um, went to work for a franchise. So I worked for a bigger company um, for three years, or two and a half years. Um, it was okay. Uh, a lot of work, a whole lot of work for one person. A lot of dogs, way too many dogs. Uh, became overwhelming for me just to to get paid for videos. Um, it wasn't about the dogs; it was about the videos and putting up videos on YouTube, and that's how you got your money. Um, doesn't matter how shitty of a trainer you are, as long as you got a video of that dog off leash for three minutes, you're gonna have to, even if the dog is not up to par. <laughs> and you know, right. 
Um, so I, I weaned off the company and I just started on my own. Um, it's been about a year now, year and a half that I've been on my own. And I just recently moved to Florida. So I'm starting off fresh here, my company fresh in Florida. Well, fresh, but with a pretty well-known brand. So I'm sure that helps a lot. Familiar face, yes. Yeah. And so you worked in the in the daycare grooming training company for you said five years. What would you say is like your biggest takeaway from being in the ta in the daycare environment? Um, learning dogs. I'm sure that helped you. Learning pack. Learning dogs in groups. Dogs are so different when they're playing in groups. Um, I mean, we had dogs that owners thought they were like the sweetest little angels, and they go home with little report cards, and your dog's being an ass today, and they're like, "What do you want? My dog's perfect." Not when they're playing with 15 other dogs. It's dogs are different. Um, I learned a lot about body language. I learned a lot about. Um, I just I just learned dogs just working here. I mean, we have 40 to 50 dogs in a group at once. So I mean, and there were a lot of mistakes made because nobody was really in charge of structure or shuffling dogs around and you know rotating these dogs and letting these dogs out until I got there. So it was a mess. It was a baby yeah. company. It had just been open a year. You know, they were still learning. So, I mean, over my five years, there was a lot of mistakes made while I was working there. And I learned, I, I learned a whole lot from that. Um, so I know what not to do now. I know what to do as a, you know, as a business owner, I, I know, you know, what, I know how to keep dogs safe. I know how to keep dogs, you know, oh, I mean, I just, I just know how to do things that your typical person wouldn't know how to do. If, unless yeah, I think that 50 dogs. <laughs> I was, I recently said this to somebody who was, like interested in getting into working with dogs i think that <laughs> the only good thing that the average daycare is good for is to go and get your experience your hands on get dirty and like get in the trenches with it because there's so much there's so much going on there that you're not going to get just working with a regular trainer because the average trainer is hopefully doing things better than the average daycare you would hope and there's those mistakes like what you said those mistakes are actually the biggest lessons like i know from the dog fights that i had to break up i learned a lot more than how to just prevent the dog fight yeah. right and from watching dogs interact and from what learning how to settle down a group of dogs and all of that stuff is much more powerful than just going to somebody and being like well this is how you avoid a dog fight in the first place like right. that's awesome and that's also important to know but what about the signs that it's about to happen? And what about like how to break it up because it could always happen? And what the conversation the dogs had with each other prior to that, that stuff is like the really powerful mm -hmm. lessons. And when you can learn to relate to that, just as in a dog to dog way, in a sense, then you can transfer that to your training in a very powerful way, which uh, people who don't have that experience might not understand it the same way. 100%. So yeah, I think dog, dog daycares are great for dog people who want to get their hands yeah get the experience in, and then shut the place down after yeah whenever a baby <laughs> trainer asks me hey how do i get into this go work at a doggy daycare go pick up dog poop go yeah. with groups of dogs go to the dog park and watch just watch <laughs> you need to learn dog like in order to be a dog trainer you need to know body language you need to know those signs you need to know you need to know, know the preventatives to the naughty stuff you know the, the yeah. behavior we're gonna get a dog hurt um, yeah, and the cool thing about where where I worked, well, cool for me in terms of the experience I had to get out of it was we didn't have tools, at least not when I started there. Uh, once I was there for a while, like we had e-collars for some dogs and, um, you know, more more tools, I guess, to, to control the pack and things like that. Um, but 
in the beginning when I got there, I was given a spray bottle, right? And that was that was the control. That was the yeah, tool. They had, the daycare I, when they, when I started, that's all that was hanging around the walls. Was, yeah, uh, yeah. That's and like I, the acceptable thing. Naughty dogs had leashes on. Naughty dogs had special play times. I mean, th there was so many things that we did differently after I took over. Like as far as yeah. Um, but that's that's powerful though to be to be to figure if you can figure out how to manage and control a pack without tools then you have something that a lot of people don't have that's yep. super powerful yep. body language yeah <laughs> body language energy like a lot of the things that are overlooked you know i think that energy plays a big role into pack work mm -hmm. oh yeah i know because when the new hires start we usually had more fights <laughs> right yeah more nerves in group you know <laughs> yeah it's all you got to control this all that stuff and a lot of people think of it as like a caesar milanish stupid way of thinking right. which i love caesar but a lot of people have this like it's like a dumb way of thinking like it's all energy mm -hmm. like almost hippy dippy but like it actually really is what it is. <laughs> yeah it, it really is how it goes and when people don't have that they're missing an important tool do you do pack work now? No, no, yeah. I'm gonna be starting like pack walks with the clients I'm getting here, but I don't have enough yet. Do I have a few? But... but when you've been on your own, like I guess prior to being in Florida, were you doing like not pack walks, pack work? Like define having work. what? I said define pack work. <laughs> well, like like having groups of dogs in a in a social setting, off leash, interacting, but not necessarily being psychos and stuff like that. Like well, what you would have in a daycare when you're managing it. Or I would offer like daycare in my house, but limit to like five dogs. There's nothing. Gotcha. Yeah, nothing major. Yeah. And do you do, what, what is your programs these days? I know you do one-on-ones or you do board and trains. Like what is your training? I do board and train and one-on-ones right now. So I do in-homes and just out and about wherever the owners want to meet. Um, I do therapy preparation. So yeah, before, before COVID, because there is not a lot of therapy work going on right now, but I do therapy preparation um, I do service dog training, so I'll train service dogs that are already service dogs and need work, because a lot of them do. Um, I'm offering puppy classes now, too. Those start next month. Can you talk about service dog training a little? Because I know shit about it, and I'd love to know. Um, I was not working with the company, uh, the first company I was working with, uh, the owner started a program for service dogs. So he was actually breeding and raising German Shepherd puppies for it. Um, so we would, we had maybe two litters and out of those two litters, maybe like four or five dogs went out for, for service dog work. So we would keep them from eight weeks old to about nine, 10 months and then give them out to the new owners. Um, so after that, I mean, I just started doing mostly for like PTSD, um, retrieving things, driving things off the table, opening the fridge, turning on lights, stuff like that. Um, and then after that, after that company, all I just offer is, uh, just kind of maintenance work for current service dogs. So I don't certify or whatever, you know, people try to, can you make my dog a service dog? And then they always get those phone calls. Oh, I want to get yeah. this apartment. Can I just make my dog a service dog? No. Um, legitimate service dogs come to me and you know with reactive issues or you know pulling on the leash little basic stuff um just so we can address that and uh, yeah so you're doing more like behavior mod for service dogs that are struggling right. right gotcha and and prior to that were you 
specializing in something specific with the service dogs or was just general basic stuff like i don't i don't know anything about service dog training no, that's what test training the dogs would be um public assets trained so i mean we we did test training from puppies so i mean by the time these dogs were four or five months old they were tip-top shape healing retrieving what they needed to retrieve you know just whatever they were being taught to do so we had a couple different ones doing like um just to pick up stuff for the owner, so mobility and stuff like that. And then we had some for like PTSD and more of the um, more of the psychiatric. Yeah, and with PTSD trained dogs, are they being trained to just be more emotional support, or are they? So I trained um, one that I trained. He was uh, trained anytime he would see me curled up in a corner or my hands over my face, he had to come in and kind of interrupt and just literally. Get all over me until I give him affection and love. So, um, or pressure therapy too. Teach that. It's interesting stuff. It's it's interesting because I sound very stupid when it comes to that. It's like <laughs> talk about pet dog training. A lot of people don't, don't know what service dogs because a lot of people go like they go and buy dogs from you know like these companies that are raising right. puppies and whatever, and they spend grands on these. Dogs. I mean, thousands of dollars just buying a dog that's already two, three years old and trained to do what it test. Um, not a lot of people know about service dogs and how it works. And, you know, a lot of people think you can just go online and register your dog to be a service dog and that's it. And we got a lot of fakes out here because of it. But, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's legitimate. It's, if you, I can spot a fake from a mile away. Um, yeah. it, I saw one the other day and I was like, I just walked right past it, like, yeah, there goes another fake service dog. Because anybody can just go and register and print out a card, and then they have their own service dog, you know? Um, what's, what's your opinion on this whole discussion? So I recently was listening to one of these lives that was discussing a service dog controversy of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, and the topic of them, if there should be a registry, if they should have to be registered legally or just that people should be able to just train them and have their dog as a service dog what's your thoughts on all of that i mean i think i don't think there should be a registry in my opinion um i think people should be allowed to call people out if their dogs are not behaving because by law you're you're allowed to ask two questions and a lot of people a lot of businesses don't know this and walmart doesn't know this and they just allow dogs in the store and people just pretend, yeah, this is my ESA or this is my service dog. And it's a fucking Maltese inside of the cart. You know, it's not an actual dog performing actual service set. So I think it, it should be, I don't know. I don't know. The law should be a little different when it comes to, to actually addressing and, and spotting out a fake or a potential fake. Um, I don't think you should ask anybody what the disability is, but I think you should be able to ask, you know, the questions that are on the paper. What is your dog? What is the task your dog is trained to do? You know, or is this a, a service dog who's trained to perform a task? Like, and what's the other question? Um, it's is this dog? Is this dog trained to perform? Do I carry the? I carry it in my wallet. <laughs> Pull this out and just throw it at somebody. So they actually, I leave this at businesses when I go. It's a little 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 card that tells you the laws and the rules and. Uh, the questions they may ask is, is this a service animal for a disability? And what task has this service animal been performed, been trained to perform? So as a business, those are questions you can ask if you see a pet coming in your store with a service vest on. Um, 
And, and based on that, they're allowed to deny access if if they can't answer the question. Right. It's pretty simple. People, even a few of these people that do care, like walk around with, with their little fake service dogs, they they have they're under this impression that you can't you can't question it. Right. So they really walk in these places like I can have my service dog in here, and they, you know, you you can ask legally, you can ask two two questions, and that you can't sue for it. It's they're legal questions that like you can legally ask them. So I think it's just people are just so afraid to get sued, and they're so afraid to just you know. Of people going crazy on that. Yeah. Hard with a picture on it, you know. Like, so it's it's uh, it's crazy. I don't think it should be like regulated or anything like that. But I just think people need to stop being afraid to address people that look like they have face service dogs with them. Right, that makes sense. So, with your training these days, you're doing board and trains and you're doing one on ones. Are you doing behavioral work in one on ones? I do everything. So I mean, anything that's wrong with your dog, we're working on it. So I do. So how do you differentiate if it's going to be a board and trainer or a one-on-one? -on -one? It's up to the client. It's up to the I, client. I don't force it. If if I notice that the client, so uh, I had one that I gave actually when I moved to Florida, I gave away a, a four-lesson package to my TikTok followers. Um, they just had to send in a video of their dog, you know, and what the issues are. And uh, Kobe was a husky. The mom recorded like him escaping out of his kennel, furniture completely destroyed, and um, I told him, okay, well, you won the four lessons, whatever. So lesson three, I had her turn around and walk away from us. This dog had a complete panic attack. Okay. I couldn't correct it. I couldn't redirect it. I mean, there was no redirecting the behavior at the moment. He was so fixated on mom walking away and he was literally yelling and howling at the top of his lungs because his mom walked away. As she's coming back, he's still <laughs> doing all that crazy shit. As she's coming back up to me, I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. Would you mind if I take him for a couple weeks? And she's like, yeah, how much is that going to cost? And I gave her a price. And I mean, two weeks later, he came back home and he's doing amazing. And she signed up her second dog for a board and train right after. So nice. That's awesome. Satisfied, and she was happy about it. And we still talk. Um, and he's doing amazing. He's doing really good now. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I leave it up to the client. I don't say, yeah, this is a board and train because your dog's aggressive. No, I'd rather work with the human any day. I mean, I'd rather work with the human, especially when it comes to behavioral cases. Um, when it comes to aggression, I, I rather get to know your dog over a couple sessions before we do a board entrance. So I rather be safe. Right. <laughs> um, when I was working with the other company with the franchise, they sent an email. This is the dog you're picking up. This is the phone number. And then you just hit up the owner about pickup and you show up. So my last board entry with that company was Layla. And if you don't know who Layla is, I don't know who Layla is. <laughs> I'll send you a video of Layla. But Layla was my first TikTok viral video because of the way she reacted to me walking into the house. Um, she literally, I mean, with a muzzle on, fully lunging at me, like nonstop for 40 minutes. This dog would not calm down. I literally had to walk out of the house with her in order for her to just be like, oh, okay, cool. I have nobody else but you right now. Right. Um, so then she was done with her sass. But I mean, no inexperienced person would have left that house with that dog. Like no other trainer would have walked out of the house with that dog. They would have called their boss and like, "Hey man, um, uh, this is uh, this is not happening." <laughs> but you know, it's that's what I like. You know, that's that's what I like. It's the it is it's the more difficult cases because those are the cases that get turned down by other trainers. And those are the cases that. You know, the people are struggling the most because no one will look at their dog or they get kicked out of classes or they get, you know, they just get turned away because people don't know what to do.
Right. The dog's already wearing a muzzle. The dog's already on a prong collar. The dog's already on an e-collar, and it's still acting up. So what do you do? You know? So what is missing from your experience? What from your experience, what is missing, right? Because these owners are they're using the muzzles. They're they're a lot of them, I think, are putting in work. They're trying, right? A lot of times, right? And they've gone to other trainers. What what do you find is that missing key that closes that gap that you have that you can offer? Timing. What? Timing. The timing's off. With all of my plans, timing is off. It's always about timing. Like the redirection and the timing is always too late <laughs> too early you know it's just communication is off it's always miscommunication because of timing meaning corrections not being given at the right mm -hmm. time or just trying to prevent the behavior dire redirecting the dog before it happens right. predicting body languages they don't it's all timing is the timing's off every time with a correction, whether it's a, a redirection with the body or an actual leash correction, the timing is off. And do you find that that's a something that other trainers are lacking too, or is it more oh, of an owner? Sorry, they're my humans. No, no, other trainers is just experience. They, I, that's all it is. I have a lot of experience dealing with dogs with bad attitudes. So it's that I know the trainers that went through that company get 21 days of training and a facility and Five of those days, they're just watching. And then the rest of those days, they're on field trips with the trainers just shadowing. So you get a trainer who's been working for less than a month with dogs <laughs> to go handle behavior cases. So, I mean, it's, right. it's experiences. It's fear. <laughs> a lot of the time, they're a lot. I mean, they're, they just don't want to deal with aggression cases. The guy I was working with, he wouldn't take, he wouldn't walk into a house if a dog was aggressive. Because he was afraid he was going to get bit. He was 6'2 and 250 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't like. I've been bit. I I was bit by a German Shepherd uh, two years ago. And nine stitches later, and I'm still doing this shit. It's not. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the dog. I'm not afraid to not stand back. Because a lot of people stand back as soon as the dog growls. Oh, shit, hell no. What the hell? You know, and I'm like, okay, you're growling. That's fine. <laughs> We're going to sit here and have this conversation anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah. The interesting, so with, with biting dogs, I don't work with a ton of aggression, but I take, I take my cases like carefully when it comes to aggression, um, more so because I just want to make sure that it's actually worth it to take the case and that it's going to be successful because the owners actually care enough. And, um, but what I find is like, okay, so I have a, a situation recently. Well, I, I worked with a dog a long time ago. It had zero aggression. It wasn't an aggressive dog. It was a little golden doodle. Um, and it went back home. And after a while of being back home, started to bite its owners, right? Started the resource guard, started to bite its owners, all that type of stuff. And the thing that I saw missing, I'm just using this as an example, but I see it a lot, is that without realizing it, that behavior is reinforced immediately the first time, right? So like the dog barks or growls and everybody backs up and the dog is like, well, fuck yeah, that worked. Mm -hmm. And then they, they tried the next time to be like, well, we're not going to back down. So the dog is like, well, I have another trick and he bites, right? Or just and, goes forward a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they all back up. And it's, it's a very interesting dynamic where as soon as a dog recognizes that you're not backing down. You're not going to back up. It's not scaring you, as you said. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you could see a light bulb go off in their head most of the time where they're like, oh, 
this doesn't work. <laughs> and then the dog usually, falls, yeah. And then many times the dog, like in a sense, falls apart right. because they don't know what to do. This is what's worked for them over and over and over, and it's a proven method that it just worked for them. They had no reason to try yeah. anything else. And then they're like, "What? What do I do?" You know, because I think that most most aggression cases aren't. I don't think they're really like dogs that are too confident about what they're doing. It's right. just they're doing what works. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, there is no confidence. Most of my aggression cases, the lack of confidence is yeah. the important thing. Like, they're not confident, and that's why they're telling you to back off. <laughs> yeah. I have my chow who's with me now, my lion. Um, is he, he yours, yours? No. I, okay. I just you talked about it. Here, right? Yeah, so I, he, he was officially three weeks, but I kept him closer to – he's going this Sunday. I kept him almost five weeks, four and a half weeks or so. Um, he, he just – yeah, so he needed more time. He he has a bite history. He bit his he bit both his owners. He bit their child, um, and he just does whatever he wants. Um, but the, the interesting thing, does whatever yeah, they exactly. Lies. So the interesting thing about him is though he's actually super confident, mm -hmm. and it's different than many of the other bite cases that I've worked at least recently where they were. They were just like what we're saying, like these dogs that this is what works. So they just do it. He's actually like super confident. So he's more like, I do what I want when I want. And if you have an issue with that, well, you're going to learn that doesn't work with me. Right. And really he has like, like an awesome personality. No, no confidence. Like I take, so once dogs are doing like really well and we work through like their shit, I'll take them to the park and we'll go like on the skate park a lot. Right. Just to like have fun and build confidence, whatever. So I was sitting with him on top of one of the one of the ramps and we were just chilling over there. He had worked in the field for a while. So we were just chilling on top of one of the ramps, had music playing, relaxing. And I go to get off. He was on a long line. I go to get off and I was going to like guide him down so he shouldn't have to jump it because it was pretty high up. And he just saw me standing there and he just yeah, leaped. Off of it. Yeah. And, and I was like, bro, like that's high. Like I, I didn't jump it, right? And uh, and most dogs that I'm working with, I'm bringing there. I have to like guide them up and use food and use leash pressure just to get right. them to actually do the thing. And he just leaps right off, cuts cuts his chin a little bit, landing on the concrete, and runs back up to do it again. <laughs> and, and I was like, this dog has too much confidence. I told his owners, I was like, you have a good thing that your dog doesn't lack in confidence, right. but now you better really be able to deal with a confident dog. Right. It's a whole different game. Uh, with Layla, it was weird because she was she wasn't she was not fearful, and a lot of people kept like commenting, "Oh, she's scared, she's scared." Dog, she was not scared. Yeah, that dog will confidently lunge at you to keep you away. Like there was no fear behind it. It was just back off. Like so, I mean, I I, I know what you mean with the whole confidence thing, because yeah, for for an aggressive case, she had a lot of confidence, especially in that bite, like in that bark, in that lunge, just. Those confidence. It was not. not it's an interesting. It's an. It's a whole different dynamic when you have that versus the dog that's no confidence and fearful and using it as a coping skill. The confident ones aren't using it as a coping skill. They're just using it because they're like, "Well, fuck you," and this works. Work last time. Yeah. 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 And it's it's also cool with them though because you have much. I think at least with this guy specifically, there's much less of having to try to rebuild him. It's really just like, cut that shit out 
this is what this is what we do from now on and now life is good and he's like all right that's fine i'm adjusting <laughs> yeah and there's like no i mean have you worked with chows yeah they're stubborn as hell they're, <laughs> yeah in every case i've gotten i've got maybe like three they're not really that common um all aggression cases yeah and they're not they're not the brightest um <laughs> they're fluffy though they're so yeah. fluffy <laughs> i was walking with him so since he's going home this week i've been taking him on like a lot of outings this week and just having him a part of my life usually the last week of boarding trains that's what i do with dogs it's just like we're not doing much training sessions you're just a part of my life we just go places together and hang out so <laughs> what i said and you behave that's it right, exactly so i had him with me yesterday for like four or five hours and like i guess what you would call downtown of my area um where all like pizza shops are and coffee shops and we were chilling for a while and walking through the busy streets after school was out so everybody was out he the amount of people who wanted to pet him was insane meanwhile when i walk with my pit mama bear everybody walks to the other side of the street meanwhile he's the one who bites and, and she, doesn't know, yeah, she doesn't know that she has the ability to hurt anyone it's just a funny dynamic that i had yesterday i realized it's like people are so programmed to, no, to facts yeah. just want to say hi to the fluffy guy yeah and he's the one who would bite them but my pit wouldn't touch them what's what makes what what makes you different that's what i'm curious what makes norka dog guru different than the next trainer that people like you. besides that you're cool as fuck but like what i'm pretty cool um <laughs> uh, I, don't know. I honestly i don't know i i just tell it how it is i i'm not rude about it i guess um my methods are different they're not just like cookie cutter you know i guess so people like that in what way are they different um, well, I don't know how people see balance trainer and they assume like, oh, you're just slapping on training collars on a dog and not, you know, I assess my dogs and, and I train my dog. You know, the dog is in front of me. I don't just have a, a set. This is what we do. You know, it's I, I assess the dog and I train the dog that's in front of me and every dog is different. And I mean, it's I don't know. I I, I understand that every dog is different and I understand the struggles that the, the humans are going through and know, I'm empathetic, I guess. So. I don't know at all. I'm always a student, so that's another thing. I'm always willing to learn from somebody else, um, which not a lot of trainers are. You know, I, a lot of trainers are really just about keeping their secrets. And you know, just, you know I don't. I, I love learning from other people. I love, you know, if that's working for you, and I'm gonna give it a try. If it works for me, I'm gonna apply it. I'm gonna put it in my toolbox because you can't have a closed mind when it comes to training dogs. And if you have just a one set. This is how we do it. It's your you're not going to get as many clients and you're probably going to have just puppies coming your way. You know, it's not a challenge. And I, I look for challenges. Do you, do you think that, that you were once more cookie cutter and you've learned not to be like, did you come? I'm curious how, because you worked in a, in a facility. So like in facilities, at least my experience, you have to do things certain way generally. Well, that's the one thing that I am, thankful for that I did not start with a trainer that was a cookie cutter. He, exactly. I mean, this guy, his training had so much, so many tears to it. So he did puppy training, obedience training, texture work. He did, I mean, agility. He would teach a dog any fucking thing. And that that's one thing I loved. I was like, so this is not just puppy classes. This is not just obedience training. You know, there's so many 
different things that, you know, I learned from him because he was such a diverse guy inside of the training field, you know? So, I mean, I, I think I got lucky that, that I was able to start off as a balance trainer. So, you know, I, I mean, I started with puppy stuff, but it was still, I was still working with aggression cases and stuff like that. So I've always been a balance trainer um, from the beginning, you know? Um, and what does that, what does that mean to you? So the word balance trainer, especially in the past, I would say. Reward-based balance trainer now, okay? This is the newest. No, I don't, I'm asking to make it into another label. I don't yeah, even that's another one. <laughs> but, but no, in, in the past, I, I would say like six months to a year, all these terms have like been all over the place, people, right? So what does it mean to you? Like when you tell someone I'm a balance trainer and you're, I know everyone has a different perception of it, right? So like you said, right. a lot of people think you're just, throwing a prong collar on a dog and yanking their neck, right? And then some people think that you are just, I don't know. I don't know what people think. I'm, I just know that the main one that people think is you're probably popping the prong collar a lot. What is it? What do you think of it? What does it mean to you when you identify as that? Um, I don't even think of it as like using tools. I just like, I, I was always taught, told like force free trainers never tell their dogs. No, you know, and I, your dog needs to know what they're doing wrong. So, I guess I, I'm the one that can, I don't know, my, my balance way is just, just, it's, you should know what, when your, your dog should know when you're doing something right, when, when they're doing something wrong. So, um, you know, it's okay to tell your dog, no, it's okay to teach that as a command. And, and, and the whole purely positive thing is like, you'd let the dog figure it out and then mark when the dog does, you know, the behavior you want to so just ignore all the obnoxious other shit the dog is doing. So, um, I don't know. There has to be balance in everything we do in life. And that's something that I always stress out. So your dog, your dog's life should be balanced. Their world should be balanced as well. So um, I don't think I'm a bad, you know, I'm not labeling my myself a balanced trainer because I use tools, but right. a purely, I'm not purely positive because I do use tools. So 90% of my training is positive reinforcement. It is, you know, just, treats and, and bubbly voices and that 10% is redirection and correction. So, I mean, I, I tell my dogs, no, that's, that's what makes me a balanced trainer in the, in the world of dog trainer. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying fuck the world of dog trainer in the world of Norca. What does it mean? But what I'm I got from it is I am just a dog trainer. I'm a, I'm a, what is it? I am a communication specialist, a dog communication. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, that's a good way to double your translator, okay? <laughs> it's a good way to double your prices by yes. giving yourself that title. It's not a little fancier, yeah. <laughs> but I think that, like, what I got from what you're saying is that it's not necessarily about correction or tools or anything like that. It's about finding a way to create balance in your dog's life, essentially, right? And obviously, that Marley. That will probably, can you see him? Yeah, I see his butt. <laughs> yeah, he's always the one who decides to wander around while I'm on a live. Um, but it's not like, it's not just about the corrections and the tools and prong calls and what you decide to use to communicate to the dog. It's more about finding balance in the dog's life. And if that means saying no, if that means correction, if that means punishment, then that's a part of it. Right. Not the whole thing, but that's a part of it in order to help the dog live a more balanced life, right? And what is what does that mean to you, a dog living a balanced life? A content dog who isn't stressed out about every damn thing and isn't, you know, getting in trouble for beating himself. <laughs> no, I just 
a well-balanced dog would be, you know, where is he? That guy, you know, like that's that's a well-balanced dog right there. <laughs> yeah, he looked pretty balanced. That's <laughs> just us. I'm balancing it out. <laughs> no, I mean it's like for let's say like for an owner, right? An owner who's listening to this. And here's why I'm asking it, because I think us as trainers, we throw around a lot of terms a lot, like structure and balance and leadership and accountability. We throw out all these terms that we just expect dog owners to just understand. But the, a lot of dog owners can be left being like, well, what does that mean my dog should be balanced? What does that mean my dog should have structure? Like, besides using these terms, what does it actually mean? So, like, to you, what if you, if I was, if I was an owner asking you, right? That's what I want. That's, that's what I'm curious of how you look at it. If I was an owner asking you, what does it mean for my dog to be living a balanced life, to be a balanced dog? What does that look like? They're asking in a way I can't really answer. No, I'm say, um, I don't know. I tell my, I tell my humans to make, make their dog's day a little bit predictable. So with routine and just, just making your dog, helping your dog succeed in everything they do, um, will create a more balanced dog. So the whole structure thing is something that does get thrown a lot around a lot. And a lot of people don't understand, like, how do I keep structure in my dog's life? You know, they, you know, crate your dog. When you open that crate, the dog has to be calm. When you open that crate and the dog's calm, you put a leash on. When you put that leash on, you expect the dog to heal to the door. You do a couple little rounds of healing around the house. This is all structure in the morning before we even make it out the door. So 15 minutes into your dog being out of the kennel, they're already working. They're already doing things. They're, they're already expecting, you know, they're giving you that attention because they're expecting their that next move so um bringing predictability into your dog's life will bring a little more balance um and just helping your dog solve problems helping your dog understand you know what a well-balanced dog is which, which is a dog who's comfortable in their own skin yeah see you had an answer don't act like don't don't act like you don't oh, <laughs> i just think shy, Russ. <laughs> I just think it's important for like, this is it's, I try to play the same game with myself, right? When I'm using these terms and I'm thinking about is like, what do I actually mean so that an owner can understand it? Because we can talk to each other as trainers from today till tomorrow and throw around these terms. And for the most part, we could understand what the other person is getting at because it's like, we live it. Right. But the average dog owner, especially one who's never heard the term, like living a balanced life when it comes to a dog or, structure in a dog's life for most owners these things are foreign words that once they start to get into training and starting to take their dog's behavior seriously all of a sudden these words are thrown at them and they're like what the fuck i just want my dog to like chill i just want my dog to stop this to stop that and and now we're throwing these terms at them and they're like uh i don't know what you're trying to say and i feel dumb even asking so i'm just gonna pretend like i understand what a balanced dog is and i'll just keep doing what you say to do but i have no idea like what this really means right. So I find that it's a good thing for us trainers to like play that game with ourselves, right? Like it's why I like to write a lot about these topics no, I like them. because it, it forces me to think about a different way to explain it for the person listening, for the, for the owner essentially. Is yeah, I, mean, I think that's a mistake that a lot of us trainers do on social media is that we, we tend to talk to each other and use terms that we understand as trainers. And a lot of time we're confusing the hell out of our followers because they have no idea what a structured walk is, you know, like a, they don't understand like 
our lingo. Like that's that's really what it is. And we we stand there and we're like, yeah, you know, I don't know, because I, I I go on Jonas's lives a lot and I hear his lives and when he reads these questions out, he's answering them. But as a dog trainer, I get it a hundred percent what you're trying to say. But as a dog owner, do your your dog owners understand? Because I understand it, but they might right. So I mean, I if I ever like if I'm ever listening to one of you guys talking on your life or something and you you say something that a client may not understand i'll try to go and post a video to like explain what that was so i don't know gives me ideas to post yeah in in general for dog trainers i think it's important that we remember that like we got to be talking to owners more than to each other it's like great to have friends and i guess some people like to have enemies um (laughs) but it's it's more important to be talking to the owners out there because they're the ones who really need it like trainers yeah it's great to learn from each other but you should be learning also from the dogs you're working with and maybe educating yourself and studying things like that but the content that's put out there by us i think we should be working really hard to aim it at the yeah. owners who are looking for help because yeah. they're the ones who are struggling and My if trainers are struggling they shouldn't be looking at that type of content to get the help anyways yeah my content is directed to to my followers and to my baby trainers you know just people just starting off in the training world um i steer clear of the whole you know, social media drama it's not worth the, the clout it's not worth the views it's just not i don't know i just i'm all about positivity you know <laughs> yeah not, hey do we freeze oh there we are not my thing either i don't do drama i don't I like to watch it sometimes. It's, it's kind of a turn off to like go on your TikTok and the first thing you see is one of your peers just trashing another trainer. It's like, yeah, just stop. Just trainers. I know you guys are watching. Okay. This, this is a public service announcement for you trainers. Preach. Entertain your followers. That is all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's I part of what I live for the doggies. So part of what I want out of why I started this podcast, besides that, it's just like cool to get to talk to people and I got to talk to. This is the 39th one that I've done. So yeah, you've had some fucking legends on here too, dude. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah. So names. I mean, you're a fucking legend, but I think it's cool to, <laughs> besides that I got like access to talk to cool people and people who are supposed legends. Um, <laughs> but I think more than anything is that it's, it's a cool way for, for, like the drama is nonsense and the problem with the drama, and this is way more than dog training. This is just, I guess, I think the state of the world in general, because probably social media helps with this a lot where people are talking at each other and about each other more than the talking to each other. <clears throat> and 99% of the time, if we talk to each other, we'll find we have a shit ton of common ground and things that we agree with just because we're all people. And in the training world, even though like the age old thing of like, find two trainers and the only thing they'll agree with is what the third one did wrong right but the reality is is like you'll also find a shit ton of things that you do agree on and that you can learn from and discuss and to share and i think that it's important to if we're going to have these conversations since since there are trainers listening to this that if we're going to have these conversations and we're going to like try to ultimately find if we're in this really because we care to find like truth and what's best for the dogs and the best way to go about this we have to be talking to each other we have to be connecting with each other not just at each other so this is for me like a cool way to 
kind of facilitate that a little bit. Um, and also show that like, so, so a lot of, I've had people on here who are supposed legends, but I fucking hate these terms like dog training idols and legends. It's like, yeah. no, you just train dogs. You're not that cool. Um, but, and I've also had people on here who've been training dogs for six months to a year when I had them on, because I think that they're cool people. And I think that that's an important thing that I don't know if I've ever really said this on here or publicly, but that people should recognize that your idols are just people too. And they're just, and in this industry, they're just dog trainers too. And they do the same thing as you. Just why a lot of people are idling me. I'm like, dude, no, I'm just a regular old person with dogs. Like, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, right? It's yeah. very strange. I'm just a, human. Yeah. just a human who likes dogs too much. <laughs> but I want to break down the pedestal. I want people to just look at each other as just each other. Not like that there's idols and legends and then there's little Obviously, there's, there's people you look up to. There's I there's a couple of trainers I look up to and I just I just look up to them because they, they do right. awesome shit, but, but you're no, looking I, up to them respecting really. respecting what they do, not yeah. idolizing. Gotcha. That's the difference. What's one thing that for dog owners we got a little into dog trainers for a second, but back to the owners, because they matter. What's one thing that if every dog owner was listening to Norca, dog guru talking right now, that you would want them to know? That's a good one, man. You got me thinking tonight. You got to use the noggin and stuff. Um, you're not the only one struggling. So I know there's a lot of uh, owners out here that get really caught up in their dog's issues and there are ways to help your dog. So don't, don't just, don't just get used to your dog's behaviors. Try to help your dogs. Okay. Um, you're not the only one out there struggling and, you know, having the issues that you're having with your dog and there is someone out here to help you. Um, there's a lot of people out here that, you know, go to trainers or go to specific trainers because they've tried everything. For those out there who think they've tried everything, I haven't heard from you. You haven't called me, so you haven't tried everything. Playing. So, <laughs> you know, um, there's help for every dog out there, and there's help for every human with a naughty dog out there. So you're not the only one out here struggling, and there are people out here that understand what you're going through, and we're empathetic. I'm definitely. I feel you. I feel your pain. I've seen clients. I mean, crying tears and just just devastated because of the dog's behaviors and it's stuff that I'm just like, ah, that's easy. I got this, you know, but to that human, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it, it gets the feels, you know, it just really, it's really overwhelming for some people to even walk their dogs outside. So, um, there is help. Um, just because you've seen five trainers and those five trainers haven't been able to help you doesn't mean that one of us can't. So reach out. Just reach out to any trainer and every trainer you you know that you think can help your dog and, and try them out. Don't give up. I think that's an important one because a lot of what I've I've I also you know we all the more you get into this the more you get those emotional calls right where the owners are crying and they're at their wits end yeah. and there's always like a tone whether they say it or not of like that my dog is just helpless and like and it's a lonely feeling when. You walk past a dog park and you see 30 dogs running and playing together. And you even like you see a picture that I post of a dog chilling with me in a cafe. Right. And it's like, well, my dog like just destroyed my house again for the fifth time this week. Right. And 
it leaves people feeling like they're all alone. There's nothing to like, and if they're alone, then clearly there's no help for them because there's no other dogs that are like this because nobody's showing it. Right. Which is why like your content is awesome. Like your TikTok content, because you show, you show the real shit, right? Like I haven't seen this Layla thing. I wasn't on TikTok that long to have seen your first viral video, but just that as an example, like you, you showed how the dog was right. You showed, you showed the craziness, you show the, the real stuff that a lot of people aren't seeing other dogs have. And when an owner sees that and then sees that now, look, the dog is living with its owner. It's having a good life. You've turned it around besides showing that you're awesome and you're good at what you do, but it also gives a, t a shit ton of hope to the average owner out there who's watching it that like shit could get better. And that, that there's that's a really big reason why I post a lot of before and after stuff, because I mean, a lot of the training videos you see out here are just sit stays down, you know, dogs that jump up, you know, just you know, rude puppy stuff, not actual aggression. Like what we deal with, you know, what I right. do. Um, not a lot of people know that, you know, there's other dogs out there suffering from the same shit their dogs are suffering from, you know? Um, I love posting my before and afters because I know that I'm going to catch somebody who's like, fuck, my dog does that too. So it might be a new client for me because of it. And that dog may get help that they haven't gotten in the last five years because they've gone to five different trainers who didn't help you know, or weren't using the right methods. <laughs> yeah. There's hope. People have to recognize the message of hope, I think, is most important when it comes to any struggle and when it comes to dog struggle where like dogs are people's family. Right. Mm -hmm. And as much as we can say, it's like, it's just your dog. Well, it's not just your dog. We all know that. Right. And exactly. And I somebody for my dog. Don't play. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a joke, though. <laughs> right. So. And, and when people's family are struggling and they feel like they're all alone, there's nothing there. The one thing that changes it is letting them know that there's hope really. That's what triggers them to actually pick up the phone call, to actually put in the work, all of that, especially the ones who've been through so much already, whether it's other trainers or working on their own that like they even more so feel hopeless. It's that message of hope that I think we really have to be spreading to owners to let them know like it's totally doable. Yeah, I had a lady I met last Saturday um, who she had gone through five different trainers in the last five years because her dog, human aggressive, she's deaf. So, like, her aggression is coming from frustration because there's no way to communicate with the dog. Um, she knows her basics, just with sign language. She knows her basic commands to sit down and stay. But she's very human reactive and very dog reactive. Um, when I met the dog, I mean, I had no idea the dog had, like, severe human aggression. I knew she was a little... A little snippy, but um, she didn't react to me at all. So she came up to me, sniffed me out a little bit. I didn't, I, I didn't approach the dog at all. I was talking to the human the whole time. She's explaining to me everything about the dog. And within 10 minutes, I had her hand me the leash. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, just keep walking. And I'm, put the leash behind your back and just hand it to me and just keep walking. And she did that. And I walk off with her dog. And I turn back around. And this lady's in tears. Like, tears and i was like oh my god you okay i'm sorry she's no i'm sorry i just i never had someone else even grab her leash like <laughs> so i mean just to to not be able to hand over a leash and say here hold my dog and because you're afraid your dog's gonna eat somebody's face off i mean that's pretty intense so yeah the last five years you you have to be careful who comes over to your house you you're careful with children coming around because this dog is just so unpredictable so um 
we did like an hour session. I just pretty much showed her what it was I do. And the dog was on a down lane, down panting and exhausted towards an hour in because I showed her how to tire the dog's mind out. Um, yeah, she signed up for training and she was just so emotional about it because she thought she was, this was it for her. She thought that her dog was just supposed to live this life where she's just uncomfortable all the time and on alert, you know, all the time. And she has to be on high alert because her dog's on high alert and it's just a stressful energy always in the house. And hopefully now we start next week. So hopefully she'll be able to you know, have people over and properly handle her dog when people are over because there was no leash on the dog in the house. The dog's not muzzle trained. And this is all just dangerous things. You're setting up your guests to be hurt because you don't know when your dog's going to snap. So um, any little thing can scare this dog and this dog can go and snap at somebody. So Yeah. And in that moment when you took that leash and walked away, I don't think she was crying because of what you were able to do. I think she was crying because she saw there's hope for what her dog is able to do. Right. And that, that's the real message is that she saw in that moment that there's hope for something different than what she's been living with. Yeah, and that feeling was like I was sitting there and got a little tear eyed myself because I'm like, that's it's, it's it sucks that you went through a behavioral specialist, you went through four trainers, and you still couldn't figure out your own dog, you know. Um, and here I am within 30 minutes of holding your dog's leash, and you're already confident enough that you know. Okay, okay. <laughs> I know I said this isn't going to be a Q and A, and it never is. But this question I actually kind of want to put up and let you address it. Um, can y'all give an example of good daily structure? So I want to bring it in just because we mentioned these terms that a lot of owners don't know what they mean and structure was one of them. So for me, um, let's say during my boarding train, um, the first couple of days, my dogs are getting used to this, the new structure. So, um, these dogs are kenneled overnight. Your dog should be kenneled overnight. <laughs> So dogs are kennel overnight in the morning when we get up. Um, I expect uh, manners at the kennel door, so the dogs are not allowed to just bolt out of the kennel. Um, we work on little patients at the door there. Uh, before my dog gets out of the kennel, they have a leash on already. Um, we work on calming the excitement of being out of the kennel right there. I have my dog sit. Um, then I walk my dog down the hallway, and I have a pretty long hallway, so the moment my dog puts some pressure on the leash, I go back and I start working on loosening up the pressure. Um, I have a couple ottomans around the house, so we walk up to one That's of the ottomans. I'll tell my dog to place. I do a couple places there, and then we go to the door to work on door manners. And then we go to the front of the house, and we work on leash pressure back and forth in front of the house. And then when my dog is walking nice, then we try and go walk around the neighborhood uh, to catch other dog distractions and stuff like that. Um, when my dog comes back from this walk, we go right to drink some water and then right back to the kennel for a couple hours. Um, so the next time I get my dog out of the kennel, Exiting the door is now predictable, you know, behavior right there. I'm expecting my dog to be calm when I open the door. So most likely that second time we bring the dog out, the dog's going to calm down a lot faster because he knows what got him out of the kennel faster. So um, pretty much my dog's day is very predictable. So that's that's what structure during the day means for my pups. And I also take my dogs on field trips. So we go out, just find a trail or go downtown somewhere and look for people and dogs. And we just expose dogs to a new environment to kind of work on other issues. So yeah, I hope that answered your question there, Joey. How about you? Now, how do you answer this question? What does your daily structure look like? So less, I think less what my day of structure looks like, but more of a way that owners can implement structure is take your pre-existing day, right? So most people in general are not sitting home all day, right? So like our, our training life 
is probably slightly different than the average person in America who leaves their house to go to a job or, you know, has other things to do besides dogs. Um, but I think so for owners to take take their regular day, like whatever the regular day looks like, waking up in the morning and taking care of themselves, going out to work, coming back home. And within that, add in that when your dog is out of their crate, right, because they should be sleeping in their crate. That's no, that's very important. Um, that when they're and they should be in their crate when they're unsupervised. But the moments when they're out of their crate that you're making it meaningful moments rather than the dog just doing what it wants when it wants you're making those interactions into something meaningful, whether it's a learning opportunity, like you said, teaching leash pressure and things like that, or it's a passive learning opportunity where the dog is learning how to just live with you, which is super important, right? And so I think that a couple of ways that people can start to add that into their life. So I love that you called structure predictability earlier. Like I use that term a lot too, because I think it's super important. And the way that you create predictability in anybody's life, but in a dog's life is by consistently doing the same things, right? So that they start to know what to expect. Like you said, when you get to the crate the second time, the dog already has some level of predictability that it knows that it's not going to come out until it's calmer. So it's going to get into that state quicker. And then you do that 15 times, right? Just throughout daily life, not that you're in and out, but daily life, very quickly, the dog learns that that's just the way things go from now on. And it becomes predictable in its life. So when the dog is out of the crate, the only way that you can make a dog's life predictable is if you start to control it, right? Is that what you mean? Exactly. <laughs> and you can't control a dog's life when it's upstairs chewing your socks and you're downstairs watching TV. Mm -hmm. So when your dog is out of the crate, you should have them on a leash, on the leash so that you can control them and in turn make their life more predictable in the future. And this should go without saying, but I realize at this point that it has to be said that leash should be with you. It doesn't mean that your dog is wearing a leash laying on your bed, chewing your underwear. <laughs> Just to clarify that. Because well, the leash is for you to stay supervising your dog. If your dog right. is out in the kennel, you should be supervising your dog. Your dog yeah. should be doing things with you, even if it's a little downstay or a play stay or the dog is in your vicinity. <laughs> I've had so I've had too many people be like, "Well, I put a leash on my dog, and he's still doing things." It's like, "Well, is the dog with you?" No, he's wearing his leash. Like, well, leashes don't stop anything. He chewed the leash. Uh, yeah. How did he spend that much time gnawing at the leash without you noticing? Right. So, if your dog's out of the kennel, guys, you have to be supervising. If your baby's out of the crib, you have to be supervising. It's just, it is common sense, but it's not common knowledge. Right. So a couple of things that like can change can can change a dog's life right away by adding structure. Crate when you're not when you're sleeping. Well, when the dog is sleeping, crate when you're not watching your dog or you're out of the house. Simple. When the dog is out of the crate, it's on a leash and it's with you. You teach it to wait by all the thresholds that it's going through. So that's the crate, the front door. You could even conclude like hallway doors and kitchen doors if you want to be really serious about it. Threshold if you really want to be serious. Yeah. Exactly. And and it'll only be better that way. Your car door is also a threshold. Car doors. That's just, that's the one of the most serious ones. That's how you can lose a dog. Life. And then one that I think is also extremely important that some people call it place, but you don't even have to name it place, is start to teach your dog just to be still. Right? Like whether that means that it's in a down stay or whether that means that it's in a sit stay or that means that it's laying on a specific bed. 
teach your dog to be calmer. Did you guys okay. know that? You can train your dog to be calmer by teaching it calming commands. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most powerful thing, really. It's what's missing from most dogs' lives, really, is learning how to... When I go visit a new client, the dog's usually aimlessly just sniffing around, just pacing, looking for things to get in trouble. <laughs> right. And, and you can imagine how much anxiety that builds up, right? When you're living in a foreign world, then like you don't know what to do and you're just pacing aimlessly looking for something to do. It's not, it's not a fun way to live. I've had that feeling. It's not a good feeling. Right. And then like imagine that all day, every day. Mm. And that's why crate time is important besides for the safety and management aspects of it is like you're, you're taking away all the stimulation that is making your dog nuts because you're not there. I'm going to go grab my pizza real quick. Go grab your pizza. We're going to wrap it up in a second. Grab your pizza. <laughs> you didn't even put the camera on Russell before you left. That's not fair to everyone. We should be able to see Russell. Paint me like a French girl. This is <laughs> this is now the podcast of Russ interviewing Russ. Russ is now finally having a conversation with Russell. Guys, isn't that the dopest dog name though? For people who are just listening, Norca has a gorgeous pity with a really cool name. And he's just chilling with us on camera right now. So structure, like for, for people who are still hanging out with us, structure really means predictability. So start to do the same things with your dog on a daily basis. Obviously, it doesn't all have to be at the exact same time. I'm not one that believes that they have to have a very strict schedule. It should fit into your lifestyle. But the main thing is that when your dog is out of the crate, when it's with you, make those moments meaningful by making them learning opportunities, by making them a way of teaching your dog how to live with you, by teaching, by controlling your dog's space. Um that's what's most important controlling your dog's space managing their life creating predictability um obviously you could add obedience into all of it but obedience is not what changes it it's not what it's not what creates the structure it could be used to help with that all my dogs are slowly wandering away Quiet. all right let's wrap it up with i think that that message of hope is a good thing to wrap it up i just wanted to address the structure thing real quick since somebody asked it and it is an important thing to bring up and it's always good for people to hear it in different perspectives from different trainers but hope hope is really where it's at yes. y'all gotta remember that there's hope for you guys for your dogs for everything there's hope for the fucking world it's we not that you. bad we got you <laughs> norka tell like, everyone where they could i think that's that's why i put a lot of my content out there a lot of i mean i put a lot of free stuff you put a lot of free stuff out there a lot of a lot of us put a lot of free stuff and it is to help those few people who can't afford a trainer and those right. few people who you don't need to pay me one hundred fifty dollars for me to teach you how to, you know, to teach your dog sit. Like I'll, I'll do a video teaching your dog how to do a good sit stay, if it's gonna help someone out there, you know. Yep. Um, I don't know. I just I, I put a lot of free content out there because I know there's there's a lot of people who can't afford a trainer. It's a lot of people who think they can't afford a trainer, you know. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who don't think there's a point in hiring a trainer because they don't think it's gonna help. Right. which is also an important reason to show them that it could help, right? Just just letting people know that there's a possibility for something better. And just because you've seen five other trainers, guys, doesn't mean that that's the end of the world. There are so many different trainers out here that do so many different awesome things. 
And that trainer you went to may not have been the right one for you. Okay. Just like us, when we go to see a, a whatever physical, uh, uh, actual trainer for your body, you know, you, you may go to two, three different or therapists. Even if you go see a therapist, you might not find the right one after two, three, four or five people, you know, um, don't give up on your dog. Don't. <laughs> Norco, tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your awesome content, all of that. Uh, my email is Norca K9, the letter K, the number nine, um, K9 trainer at gmail.com. You can email me there. Um, you can get me on Instagram at Norca underscore dog guru. Um, I'm on TikTok, but I will not answer messages on TikTok because I got 12 year olds asking me questions and there's probably like 600 messages from one day alone. Uh, so email would be the best. Um, my phone number is listed on my Instagram. For anybody listening who's always like, hey, what's your number? <laughs> Instagram is listed. You guys can shoot me a text, a call. Snapchat, you can add me on Snapchat. It's on all my social medias on there, tag them, assuming. But if I can see a video of what you're struggling with, it's better. So you can send me a little video of your dog. Hey, this is what my crazy ass dog is doing. And then I, I'll get back to you with a little response. Um, Sometimes it's a simple little quick fix, you know, reply. And sometimes it's a, you got to call me. We got to set up an assessment or an evaluation and we go from there. But yeah, um, Narca canine trainer at gmail.com would be. And what's your TikTok? Uh, Narca underscore dog guru, the number one. That's, that's really where most of your content is, right? Yeah. Yeah. My YouTube will be coming up. It's in the works. So. It'll be coming up soon. So I'll post that awesome. on my TikTok as well. That's exciting. All right. Thanks for coming on, Norca. This was fun. Exactly, it was fun to get pleasure. back on. Always sleep. a pleasure. I'm so mad your hair wasn't down, but it's cool. It's cool. We can do it once for you. That's just, oh, that's no. just for you. Oh, he that's just for you. He ended the show with it, guys. Um, yeah, we ended <laughs> with that. You and your, your voluptuous hair. <laughs> we ended with that. All right, everyone. You should dread it up already. <laughs> Yo, I used to have one dread. Like then I would use it just to wrap around. I would use it as like a pony and wrap the rest of my hair in it. But I'm so happy I never fully dreaded it. Thank um, you. I really appreciate you having me. It's awesome, bro. It was awesome. You're awesome. Keep doing awesome work. Stop being awesome. I can't wait to meet you. Love you guys. Let's just talk you and Rachel down. Like you know that, right? Like I'm literally just coming to Jersey just to like Rachel, Russ. <laughs> yeah, I'm in New York, but Jersey's close enough. So when you come down, we'll all meet up. Yes. All right, everyone. Thanks, everyone who's tuned in, whoever's listening, whoever's watching. I'm happy to be back. Hopefully, we'll, we, we will be back with more guests in the future. I'm not going to let this go as long as I did this time around, hopefully. Um, yeah, announce his new guest tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Accountability. <laughs> I say you're going to announce your guest tomorrow. Accountability. <laughs> I might. <laughs> we'll see. All right, guys. Love you all. And as always, remember to be kind to each other and to yourselves. Have a good night.